In this episode, Dr. Kashi discusses the importance of understanding the role of sugar in the body, and more important, how to ritualize your sacrifice to the diet gods properly. The Good Doctor also talks about the biological factors involved in burning calories and the type of metabolic fuel used during different activities. Roll the intro! Hello, and welcome to... <coughs> Coffee with Cashy. I am your host, Dr. Trevor Cashy. Today's lesson furthers the conversation between the sugar's toxic and you are what you eat garbage. As well as the you must avoid sugar to be healthy garbage. To be a little more granular. Possibly a glycogen granular. Hmm? A little more sciencey about why sugar is so dang important in the possessing of a body that looks as good as it works and works as good as it looks. To please the diet gods, they're everywhere and they are watching all the time. They know your thoughts. So here's what you're learning. How to properly ritualize your blood sacrifices to the diet gods. Hmm? The vegetable gods, the diet gods. The best way to hug your liver when it's lonely, because your liver might be lonely, do you know? If you don't know, then it probably is. Hmm? And homeostasis. Alright? A little bit of background here. Conversations about activity and metabolic health are a lot like vegetables. Conversations about vegetables. The public has a general understanding that vegetables are good. And the public also has a general understanding that activity is good. However, if you inquire about the benefits of vegetables, the typical conversation goes something like this. Why are vegetables good? They have vitamins and minerals. Okay, why are vitamins and minerals are good? Because vitamins and minerals are in vegetables, and vegetables are good. Conversations about activity go a similarly circular path. Why is physical activity good? Because it burns calories. Why is burning calories good? Well, because that's what physical activity does, and physical activity is good. Except, except, activity is more likely to be used as a tool of penance. Because people have also made the connection that food has calories. So if activity is good because it burns calories, but then people know that burning food has calories, then burning food is good. See this connection here? Ugh, more to the point, it only appears that bad foods have calories. At least the calories that matter. Especially the, the calories in bad foods like toxic sugar. Therefore, physical activity is used to elicit some sort of absolution from the sins of coveting another man's cookies and ice cream. Ask a person what burning calories means and they're likely to give some strange relationship between hours on a treadmill and numbers on the back of a food wrapper. Interesting, right? Interesting, right? In other words... Activity is only good because calories are bad. And food contains calories. And that means food is bad. See this? This is how tragic that is? It's, it's tragic. It's sad. 
I ate a donut, and now I must run around in circles until the diet gods are pleased with my blood sacrifice. Although, yes, strictly speaking, I am bald? Why didn't anybody tell me I was bald? Oh, it's too late now. Although, yes, strictly speaking, physical activity does burn calories. So does thinking. Thinking burns calories, too. In fact, in many cases, the number of calories people spend worrying outpaces the calories they've burned moving around. And that is scientific fact. Hmm? Down in TKN's private area... Wow, that sounded strange. Roll with it, everyone. There's kind of a communal understanding that burning calories and getting fitter and losing excess fat and carrying yourself confidently, those are side effects of understanding truly the only piddly little side effects of the real outcome of transforming philosophies around activity and food and eating. Just about any experienced TCAN client will tell you their story about that in their words. TCAN calls these the so-called side effects of change. And, and you, you might see that um, being posted around, okay? Since a lot of time and energy are spent here talking on the, you know, the cognitive, the cognitive, emotional, philosophical stuff and the behavioral stuff, it's fun to spend a little time in the biological stuff as well because it clears up absurdities like X hours on the treadmill equals Y donuts. <laughs> so here's the skinny, as it were. When you move around, you use your muscles. Using your muscles costs metabolic biochemical fuel. Now, that's about where the general knowledge ends, because that's the whole idea behind burning calories, which is obviously the only thing that matters in the history of the universe. The amount of metabolic fuel you use and the type of metabolic fuel you use, yes, because there are quite a few of them, depends on how often you do it, how long it lasts, how metabolically demanding the activity is versus how mentally demanding it is, and the method uh, or activity you choose. And the more proficient or fit your body is, the more effective your body is at transitioning between the types of fuels and combining the types of fuels, and you become more proficient at metabolizing that fuel. This has health implications you'll learn about in a few minutes. Now, the consumption of metabolic fuel seems to be the only thing people really care about, mostly because for whatever reason, people think that it erases their distorted, fabricated, and self-imposed sugary sins. Woof. Woof. Uh, but the important part, ironically enough, is that when you use the fuel, this is the irony here, the important part about activity, the irony is that when you use the fuel, your body replaces it. That's what is essentially healthy about it. <laughs> this depletion in stored fuel signals for the uptake of sugar and fat from the circulatory system. And this up uptake happens through mechanisms dependent on insulin and separate from insulin. And from the previous lessons, you also know that if the stuff hanging around in your blood too long, well, then that's part of what people think are causing a bunch of problems. Think in quotes. But that's essentially where a lot of the diagnoses happen. Okay? So, insulin, right, the hormone that has arguably gotten the most attention when it comes to obesity-related diseases, which are more like couch-related diseases, and other metabolic derangements. Using your body on purpose with purpose has two major effects on insulin worth it for you to know that also pleases the diet gods. Real most important stuff, okay? They're watching, they're angry. Wrathful gods, okay? One, if you use your body on purpose with purpose, your body 
If it sucks at using insulin, we'll get better at it. Because you become more sensitive, less of it goes further. Also, the second one is that if you suck at using insulin, your body will also use less of it. Why? Because your body turns on other machines, other biochemical machines to take up nutrients in ways separate from insulin. And a fancy science term for this is called mechanical transduction, depending on the type of pocket protector dork you ask. Now, most obesity-related diseases, couch-related diseases, are a problem because insulin in one way or another becomes a problem, directly or indirectly, tangentially or whatever. It's, it's in the mix. It's in the mix and it gets the most attention because it probably because it's been studied the most. <laughs> and this is why the low-carb, sugar-hating fear mongers have gotten so much traction because the sugar-insulin relationship is so obvious and so easy to see that a lot of their premises make perfect sense. 99% right and 100% stupid, okay? A little bit of science in your back pocket and you soon realize again that these obesity-related diseases are more like couch-related diseases. <laughs> now, these two insulin effects, okay, using less and getting, using, getting better at using it and using less and having insulin, sep like mechanisms separate from insulin, are separate but coexisting phenomena, okay? Fancy biochemical, physiological pathway here. When your muscles, when your muscles and brain use metabolic fuel, sugar in this case, they suck it up from your blood, right? So your muscles and your brain, they got some sugar in there. And when they use it up, they're like, yo, Dr. K, we're out of sugar. Where do we go? Well, I go suck it up from the blood, bro. And they say, okay, and they start, they suck it up from the blood. And then the blood's like, yo, I'm empty. What's going on, bro? And then Dr. K's like, yo, blood, it's cool. Just suck it up from the liver. And so they go, okay. And this liver's like, yo, dude, I got to keep filling the blood back up with sugar. So I got to knock off my cobwebs and start releasing some of that metabolic fuel I have stored away and making more metabolic fuel from scratch because the liver can do some pretty neat stuff. Like really neat stuff. The liver is pretty cool. Okay. It just, it looks crazy because it has to do all sorts of crazy stuff. Okay. <laughs> okay. It knocks its cobwebs loose, releases metabolic fuel, makes more metabolic fuel from scratch. Maybe you've heard some fancy terms like glycogenolysis or gluconeogenesis. Your liver does these things to make your blood sugar go back up after it goes down because it's been sucked up from other places. Ideally, it's been sucked up from other places anyway. If your body sucks at sucking it up, well, then that's kind of where health problems happen. Catch the drift here? <laughs> okay, your liver does these things to make your blood sugar go back up after it goes down. And so, you know, they're using it. And then what ends up happening is that your liver, because it has some of its own stored fat and its own stored sugar to help make all these other things happen, it uses its own sugar and fat that it has stored up to make more sugar and release more sugar and even package more fat and send it out. Oh, Ever heard of fatty liver? <laughs> well, here's some very large dots to connect, okay? All these things, these moving the stuff around, okay? Eventually, your liver becomes depleted. Your liver runs low on its stored sugar and fat. And then it's like, then the liver goes, yo, now I'm out of sugar and fat. Everything's out of sugar and fat. And then they're like, oh, maybe we should eat stuff. Oh, that's where the whole eating stuff comes from. Oh. See how this kind of all sorts to connect to itself, like biology or something? 
okay? Your liver eventually runs low and it stores sugar and fat and increases its own uptake of blood sugar and blood fat, okay? Where does the majority of blood sugar come from? People think it comes from food, but it's really coming from the liver. Where does the majority of your blood fat come from? A lot of people think it's from food, but it's really from the liver. You know, one way or another, okay? At least in the context of pathology and the bad stuff that's happening. Excessive elevation of those values mean that it's probably coming from the liver. The liver is lonely. It's asking for attention. What do government clinicians and other health people whine about the most when it comes to obesity-related, <coughs> couch-related diseases? Blood sugar and blood fat. But now that you know it's coming from the liver and they keep bitching about food, do you see the, the conflict here? Blood sugar and blood fat, diabetes, dyslipidemia, and various other cardiovascular diseases. Where moving your body around is what causes that flux of those metabolic fuels in the liver. Help, help. What prompts the greatest amount of voluntary flux in the liver? Activity, activity. This flux in and out is where metabolic health comes from. You get better at using the insulin you have, therefore you use less. You turn on other machines that mimic a little bit of what insulin does, therefore you use less again. The less insulin you use at any given time, the more reliable it becomes when you need it. The more reliable it is when you need it, the greater your chances of being metabolically healthy. Here's why. Here's why some of this gets confused, okay? Or, or a lot of it gets confused. People are taught that high numbers, especially in blood, are good or bad. People are taught that low numbers, especially in blood, are good or bad. This is 99% right and 100% wrong. If you look back at previous lessons, then you know that if metabolic fuel hangs around the circulatory system for too long, this is indicative of metabolic derangement. That's mostly leaning on the liver now that you know that. Um, but again, if your blood sugar is up all the time, you're now diabetic. If your blood fat is up all the time, then you're now dyslipidemic and at risk for all sorts of other nasty things. And if your blood pressure is up all the time, you are now hypertensive. But now you know blood sugar, blood fat, and other blood numbers going up is good, so long as they go back down. But if they're, if they're way down, that's also bad. Actually, it's worse. It means you're dead soon. You'd better keep your membership to the Not Dying Fan Club active. So your liver is pretty important for those things. <laughs> if the numbers are always up, then it's bad for the reasons just listed. Therefore, the undulation of energy substrates in the circulatory system is a conditional requirement of metabolic health. People seem to think that blood work and golf are somewhat the same where the lowest number wins. <laughs> the metabolic flux or metabolic turnover, fancy science terms for, science terms for in and out, are the indicators of health, really. Uh, but when you get measurements taken, you just see one number. Just, and that's gross. From a science perspective, that's gross. Think back to the previous lessons where metabolic health was defined. And it was defined by the ability of your body to move biochemicals properly throughout its body systems, essentially. This means that if a number is low, well, how well does your body do at bringing the number back up? It means if the number is high, well, how well does your body do at bringing the number back down? That is health. Going all the way back down to grade five science, you may recognize the term as homeostasis. Pretty cool, right? Pretty cool. In other words, how good your body is at returning to whatever its programmed normal is on the inside, even if the outside is changing. That is health. That is health. That is health. This is how you have a body that looks as good as it works and works as good as it looks. Stay rational. Until next time. Want to continue having coffee with Dr. Cashy? 
head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. It is very much appreciated. Thank you, and see you next week. Dr. Cashy is out! <laughs>